0: so for this dhamma talk on the 23rd of june 2020 Um, so now is a good opportunity for us to be sincere in our practice to keep our mindfulness with a meditation object so we pick up one meditation object and this could be the breath And the purpose of that is to have our mindfulness with the breath as it comes in our bodies and leaves. So we pay attention to that feeling of the breath as it comes in. And uh, that may be obvious at the tip of our nose. And then as it leaves um, on our upper lip, we can place our attention. We can also use the meditation word of Buddha to go along with this. So as we breathe in buddha and out Do. And this is the first method that we can try uh, with paying attention to the breath. But if we feel like we're trying to control our breath or our mind is too scattered and um, unsettled, Then we can move on to the second method, which is that of counting the breath in pairs. So as we breathe in, we count one. As we breathe out, we count one. Then as we breathe in again, we count two. And out, we count two. And we count like this in pairs until we get to the fifth pair. And then having reached that fifth pair, we come back to the beginning, and we start with the first pair again. So in one, out one. And go up to five pairs and then continue on one more up to six and then we come back and start again and so we do this um, increasing the number of pairs each time we come back and count until we reach the tenth pair if we forget uh, where we are in this counting however then we should come right back to the beginning and carry on doing it until our thoughts um, lessen and our minds are able to just stay present with the breath. If we can keep up with this counting, that means that our mindfulness is there. And then we can move on to trying um, counting quickly with the breath. So as we breathe in, we count one, two, three, four, five, and we breathe out one, two, three, four, five. Or we can count up to six or You know, do whatever number feels like it gives us a sense of peace and calm internally. So we carry on practicing having our mindfulness there with the breath coming in, the breath leaving, and we keep at that. Once we carry on and our mindfulness is well established with the breath, Um, it'll reach a point where we just won't want to carry on with the counting. And this counting will end all by itself. This means that our mind is beginning to calm down and reach peace. We'll just be with the breath as it comes in and goes out. Um, And then eventually, the feeling of the breath will stop altogether This means that the mind is gathered into one single point. Maybe that point will be the end of our nose, maybe it will be the chest, and there will be quite a compact feeling there. And so we just know this, we know the breath, and there's no need to get into any confusion, any doubts over it we just bring our minds into a state of peace and calm but it's often the case that when we do begin this training and we follow up with it that there will be uncertainty that arises so we just forget any of these doubts and come back to the breath use this as our main means of establishing mindfulness And then when our minds do settle down and become peaceful, we use that state to contemplate. And we can contemplate the same object, uh, investigate the breath, see that the breath is always in a state of flux and that it arises, lasts for a short time and then ceases. So right there within the breath, we can see this quality of anichang, of inconstancy. Our bodies are dependent on the breath, and the reason that we're all able to stay alive is because these bodies are constantly breathing in and out. So we see that there's this in breath, and then there's a short pause, and then there's the out breath, and so this arising, lasting, and ceasing. And within the span of just one single day, this arising and ceasing of the breath happens many, many times. And so we contemplate that and we contemplate the nature of change um, in these bodies in order to see that they are not sure, that they're unstable. And so every day we can observe this, um, this in the world around us this um, whole aspect of instability and of change. So just like the sun rises and then sets, and really what's happening is the earth is constantly revolving and it's revolving around the sun as well. So it never stays put or stays still. And we see all the people around us as well. And with every passing day, we're all getting older. These bodies are becoming more painful, and we're moving closer to death. So with each day, this happens. Each day we're coming closer to uh, the demise of the body. And so we see this all around us, and it's something that's very natural in this world. But we just don't really realize it. We don't have the wisdom there, to see clearly into it. To see that, you know, birth comes, or death comes from birth. Usually we just focus on these two different things. We see people who are born, we see people who die, but we don't make the connection between them. In these current times that we're going through, with there being and um, Epidemic. Um, people are dying much faster than they normally would. But whether people are dying quickly or slowly, they're still dying all the same. And so, having been born, everyone needs at some point to meet with death. But when we do come into this world, then we cling onto these bodies and we start attaching And having been born, we don't want to die. And so many people are afraid. They're afraid of this epidemic. And they want to um, keep their lives. They don't want to come to any harm. But if we contemplate well and we use our faculty of wisdom, then we can see that what is more worthy of our fear are the chileses, are the defilements. Because these are the things that will take us to be born and to die countless times, to meet with endless pain and suffering. So the Buddha, he found the path that leads the mind out of suffering. And it's like all the beings in this world are caught, um, trapped inside a large jail, this jail of sangsara, of the cycle of birth and death. And we just don't see that it's like that. We don't see the danger and the harms in it. And so we find pleasure and enjoyment in this cycle in constantly being spun around between birth and death endlessly. But the Buddha, he saw this path that leads out of suffering. And so he taught us to be able to comprehend the dangers of samsara. That he taught us to see that having been born we all need to meet with old age sickness and death. And that these bodies are really a great source of pain for us. Everyone is running around these days frantically searching for happiness. But no one's able to find true, meaningful happiness. Us, however, we've come to engage in this practice of training our minds, of bringing them into states of calm and peace, collecting them into samadhi. And this is the beginning of the path that will lead us out of suffering, that we're taking the first steps on the path that will take us um, to find true, lasting happiness. And so the... True happiness, this real happiness, is a happiness that doesn't have any suffering at all present. But the happiness that we have at the moment, what that is, is just a minor form of suffering. It's one kind of happiness, but it's not true happiness. This real lasting happiness, it comes from the mind that's peaceful from a mind that is imbued with wisdom, that's able to know fully the nature of sankharas, of conditioned phenomena. To see them as just phenomena that arise, last for some time and then cease. So the Buddha found um, this way. He was able to um, see this nature of sankharas. And what he attained to was these four noble truths, the truths of uh, dukkha, or suffering or stress, and the cause of that dukkha, the cessation of it and the path leading to the cessation of it. And having realized these four truths, he, um, he experienced and his mind was pervaded with the bliss of liberation. And he stayed in that state of bliss for 49 days. Then after that, he went out to teach all of those who had little wisdom in their hearts to be able to follow the path that he himself had taken and to come to the knowledge that he had realized. To know the nature of all physicality and mentality as being anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, in constant, stressful and not self. He had the kindness and compassion in his heart to go out and teach. And the first people that he taught were the five ascetics. And these um, ascetics had been training themselves for a very long time. Their leader was Venerable Anya Kundanya. And he was already very old by the time the Buddha taught him. But he um, he was a Brahmin and he had been following the Buddha for a long time. So the Buddha taught him, and he was very intent and sincere when he listened to the Dhamma. His mind was in a state that he was able to see the truth in what he was being taught. He could see that the nature of all conditions is to arise and cease. And this is the way that it's always been, but just we've been lacking someone who has enough wisdom to be able to tell us that it's that way. So, for all of us, as well as Venerable Anya Kondanya, from the very time of birth, it being constantly <clears throat> surrounded by things that arise and cease, arise and cease. And we can see this in nature. The trees, for example, that they grow up from a seed into a sapling and then up into a fully grown tree, and then eventually they'll fall down and die. And the whole of nature is like this. And people are the same. They go from birth to death. And we see this. We see birth, we see death. But what we see is still, it's still within this whole realm of self. And so we go and attach to it, and we give this meaning to it. And so for all of us, we have to meet with old age, sickness, and death. But we just don't see that that's the nature of our lives and of these bodies. We don't see the inconstant um, nature of these things. But really that's the way it is, that these things are unstable, that they don't last, that there's no true happiness there within them. So what it's important for us to do is to engage in this training that will allow us to meet with a lasting happiness, a happiness that doesn't depend on any external things. And even though this way of practice can be arduous, it can be difficult, and still we give it our best. We really try, try to train our minds to cultivate them, to develop them. In each day we do this. Because every day, every hour, we meet with many, many sense impressions. There are the external sense impressions of uh, sights and sounds, odors, tastes, um, physical touches and um, thoughts and emotions. And so when we have an eye, when we have eyes, when we have ears, we have a nose, a tongue, body and mind then it's natural that there will be contact with these external sensations. And when there's contact, then there'll be a feeling that arises in the mind. The problem occurs when, from this feeling, there's also a sense of self that comes up. And there's ignorance that manifests as well. So it's normal that these things will arise... Um, but we should try to see how they're really not self. And if we can't do that in time, then when there's contact, there will also be clinging and craving that come along with it. So it's necessary for us to train in mindfulness and contemplation to try to see that all of these things are really not self. If we can't contemplate in that way then we should try to see all of these sense objects as just being a feeling that's there in the mind so like all of the happiness all of the suffering all of the hates and love and fears that we have we see them as just feelings that they're not sure they're inconstant and we use our faculty of wisdom of discernment to go through them and to see their truth in this way to train our minds until they are able to contemplate in an effective way so that we don't just go and run after all of the sense objects that we meet and all of our emotions that we have in our hearts. So if we are quick enough to be wise to these things in time, then we won't go and run after them. Because if we just do that, if we allow our minds to give chase to everything that they experience and just run after all of it, then they won't feel any peace. And there'll be a lot of problems that happen. Our minds will get very chaotic and frantic. And it's possible that we'll even develop mental illnesses due to it. We'll get very stressed and experience much pain and suffering. So therefore we really should try to cultivate our minds to train them, to have as much mindfulness as we're able to. And this is very important. One um, practice that we can do that's very beneficial is that of chanting.
1: And this is especially
0: useful if uh, mindfulness, um, it's not all that strong then we can bring up chanting. So we can chant the recollection of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and go over this 108 times, this chant of so. Or we just take any chant that we like. So um, China Panjara, for example, or any chant that's there within the Bali canon. Whatever it is that we like doing, then we use that as a meditation object and recite that over and over. Keep it as our means of recollection. To stop the mind from proliferating about the past and the future, to stop it from going and um, spinning around like this. Because if our minds are constantly thinking, then there'll often be a lot of doubt that's there as well. So we really need to, you know, cultivate our minds, to train them, to have mindfulness. So as we're chanting, then. We, we use this as a means of lifting up our minds, of developing them. And this practice may be difficult to do, but even though there is some amount of stress there, it's a stress that leads to peace. And this peace, when it's deep and calm, will be a source of wisdom for us. And when wisdom is developed well, then this will lead the mind into freedom. Freedom from all of the conventions that our minds um, conjure up. And it's something that we're able to do. We can do it. When we realize this freedom, our minds will touch into emptiness and the mind itself becomes empty. We'll see that the nature of all physicality and mentality is that of not-self, that there's no true self there within it. All of the feelings that we've had in the past, all of the joy, the elation that we've experienced, all of the sadness, the depression, where is that now? It's not here, is it? And since it's not here, then why do we still take those things as being me and mine? All of these Happiness, these happy feelings, these sad feelings that we've experienced, they're not here, and so we can see that they're not real. But the mind still goes and attaches to them, takes them as being real and as being mine. All of the five khandas, the body, the feeling, the memory or perceptions, the thoughts, and the sense consciousness, just arises and ceases. In the past, these five khandas arose and ceased in the past. In the present moment, they're arising and ceasing. And in the future, they'll arise and cease in the future as well. So they're not our real home. If we can give rise to the wisdom that allows us to see through the nature of conventions, then we'll experience liberation. And our hearts will be lifted above the world. And what this means to be above the world, to experience Lokutara, is that the mind is above all of the Aramanas, all of the sense impressions. Because if we're constantly engulfed in these Aramanas, then there will always be a self there. There will always be a being, a me, a you, self and other. And we'll go and attach that these are my children, these are my grandchildren. There's always this um, conventions. Our minds are constantly throwing up these um, suppositions all the time that lead us to clinging and attachment. So what we do is we engage in this path. We start off with generosity and sacrifice, and then we work at the refinements and the um, collectedness of our speech and actions. We then train in Samadhi and the collectedness of mind. And we um, devote ourselves to building as much goodness as we can, to developing this quality of recollection of mindfulness and really training ourselves in samadhi. So we do this as much as we can formally, but also each day when we work, we need to try and be mindful of that as well. We engage in work that doesn't harm ourselves or doesn't harm others, work that is beneficial. And also to be mindful as we're doing it as well. We can use contemplation too while we 're working. We can contemplate into these bodies, see them as being just a collection of elements that they 're not stable they 're not lasting with every breath that we take. these bodies are degenerating, and there 's no true self to there at all to them at all really they 're just a collection of the elements that have come together temporarily. And in a hundred years from now, all of these bodies that we have, with everyone listening, everyone's body will not be here anymore. But when we come into these bodies, when we're first born, then we grasp at them as being a self. But how long are they going to be here for? Not long at all. Really, they're just a collection of elements that when they die will um, disperse. According to uh, which element they are, so the earth element will go following the earth element, and the fire will go following the fire, the water will go following the water, and the air the air. so there's no true self to them at all; they just um depend upon temporary things, so the physical bodies are like this as well, and the mental factors are the same way. They arise and cease just the same. So we train our minds to know this. And when we come to an understanding of this nature of arising and ceasing, then our minds will become pure. And they'll be lifted above the world, which means that we have seen into the nature of Dhamma, just like Venerable Anya Kundanya did. He saw the Dhamma because he saw into the true nature of all physicality and mentality that it's all constantly changing, and the world is like this as well. When he experienced um, this vimuti, then he touched into emptiness as well, and he saw that there's no true self there. When he realized this emptiness, what he um, had come to understand was anatta, was not self. And then his mind became awakened, it reached the state of, of Buddha. And he became a Savaka Buddha, uh, one who was awakened following the teachings of the Buddha. And all of the five ascetics, they um, followed the same path as well. And seeing all of these five khandas as being anatta, as not-self, But they had been developing samadhi for a long time before they were able to reach that point. So for all of us, we should have this intention to really try and um, put into place the causes that will allow for us to see the Dhamma and come to know the truth for ourselves.